0: You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, we lie. We
1: live. we live. This is Locked On Hornets, your daily podcast on the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Search your podcast app for Locked On to get podcasts on the NBA the NFL and fantasy sports. I'm Doug Branson. I cover the Charlotte Hornets for Fanragsports.com. We're coming to you live from the gittimer.com studios in B E a beautiful uptown Charlotte. On a Tuesday, I'm joined by my co-host. He's been covering the Hornets since they were the Bobcats for at the Hive.com. The man, the myth, the legend, David Walker. David. DiVincenzo!
0: <laughs> are you a Dante's Inferno or Dante's Peak guy? Which one do you go with?
1: Everyone had jokes. It mm-hmm. was it was amazing. I mean, that name and that performance was just tailor made for the Twitter joke stands.
0: <laughs> Speaking of Twitter, Doug, I'm I'm I'm, I'm refreshing uh, as we speak. I'm looking for a general manager announcements. So I'm looking for any more news that we can put our hands on.
1: Yeah, it's Twitter Tuesday here on Locked on Hornets. We've got a question from one of the listeners, plus uh, some big news landed on our laps from Twitter, from Mark Stein, uh, around the general manager position open for the Charlotte Hornets. We will get to that in just a moment. Uh, but uh, Katie, uh, producer Katie was really upset by the, the start time, the late start time for the NCAA tournament, sure. and she made that known on Twitter, and that tweet... That tweet did some numbers, and oh. she she got added to the Twitter moment. So big big day in the <laughs> Br- big day in the Branson household.
0: <laughs> Congrats, guys!
1: Yeah, she was for a moment she was Twitter famous, and then she realized she realized what that meant, which is like random people replying and telling you that you're wrong, and a debate happening that you didn't ask for. You were just <laughs> you were just putting your thought out there, but people don't care. They just assume. That you were fighting directly with them.
0: That's Twitter for you guys. You gotta embrace it, all of it.
1: <laughs> David, it's Twitter Tuesday, and we've got a big Twitter bomb. Not from Woj. It's not a Woj bomb. No, this is from New York Times NBA reporter Mark Stein, the Stein line, the Stein bomb. According to three according to three of his sources, the Hornets have offered the general manager position to, drumroll please, Mitch Kupchak, former general manager and longtime executive with the Los Angeles Lakers. Now Rick Bennell, friend of the show, beat writer for the Charlotte Observer, followed that report up by saying it was all but a done deal, just a matter of putting pen to paper, paperwork, but we have not gotten official word from the team that this deal is done or that this deal is even close to done, but that is the news that we currently have for you. Now, Mitch Kupchak has long been talked about as the favorite for this position, uh, but other names were floated as well as as having maybe some conversations with the Hornets. And Mitch Kupchak, we reported uh, on the show uh, a week ago, that he was in Charlotte for the tournament, but had said that he had not had discussions with the team. So playing a little coy there with uh, with the did will they, won't they? Uh, but David, if this indeed becomes a done deal, how would you feel about this move to add Mitch Kupchak as the general manager of the Charlotte Hornets?
0: Well, I think I was a little more leaning towards uh, Gorson Rosas out of Houston, just because of the approach they've taken to building that franchise, a little more forward thinking and a mix of analytics and basketball thinking that he brings to the table. Now, that's not to say that Mitch Kupchak can't bring a similar mix. It's just that, you know, in the past, he has favored towards a little more of the old school way of doing things, the no tampering way of doing things. But, you know, that could also mean he wants another shot to kind of show people he's still got something left in the tank. His exit from Los Angeles wasn't the best. You know, he didn't have a... A great run there at the end, but was part of four championships and to build a team around Kobe Bryant and was involved in a ton of what would seemingly be difficult trades, and including one that was so impossible, the NBA uh, front office deemed it impossible, and they and they, and they ruled <laughs> out, ruled it out. It they was said, so no, impossible that. Too
1: good. that it became impossible.
0: That's right, it was too good, so. I think there's going to be two reactions. One from the fan, from portions of the fan base, or people that are looking at that know the name Mitch Kupchak. Know him from North Carolina. Know him from the Lakers. And wait, a minute, like wait, that a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait I, a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah, I buried the lead on that one.
1: He went to North Carolina. He
0: did. Did you? Did. did
1: David? Did you know that the owner of the Charlotte Hornets, Michael Jordan, also went to North Carolina, played basketball there. In fact.
0: Wait a second. Is this is this breaking? You know is breaking who's news? good
1: at basketball? Michael Jordan. That's right.
0: That's right. I forgot about. So that. So you're gonna so, have the.
1: I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You're going to have that reaction that hey, this is just MJ being MJ, bringing in well, the UNC buddy, bringing in his guy, and and that's and that's not a great thing.
0: That reaction and the one that for name recognition, right? People do know Mitch Kupchak from his Laker days. And then I think you're going to have another faction that just did not want this hire at all because of what I mentioned about the potential for a younger guy coming in. Um, so, uh, but, you know, Rick Bunnell, our buddy Rick Bunnell mentioned something a couple of weeks ago on Twitter when someone asked him what the differences would be specifically between these two guys. And he really said, you know, you might not see much in that first year, Doug, because of the mess the Hornets are in and there's so much to unravel the direction or the methods by which they go about rebuilding might not, show themselves until you know well into year two
1: so speaking of reactions by the way the one reaction that you did not mention is is the reaction of anyone that would think this was a good deal you mentioned two sort of variations of <laughs> I think you're you're hinting that maybe the fan base is not going to be completely on board with this with this general manager hire and you know maybe they don't have to be I guess uh, that's It's sort of the prerogative of the the ownership to take the franchise in the direction that they want to go in. But speaking of reactions, I think that the hiring of Mitch Kupchak is a reaction to the reaction. And what I mean by that is when they hired Rich Cho to helm the last rebuild, it was a reaction to the, the first iteration of the Bobcats that was more sort of traditional basketball, eyeball, gut instinct, I know basketball, I've been wa- I've been playing basketball, I've been watching basketball for years into a more analytical approach to team building. But I think after that 7 years was over, it left a lot to be desired in terms of building relationships with other general managers, building relationships within the team, personal relationships, uh, you know, professional relationships, and being able to functionally say no when push Came to shove. This seems to be a course correction. I wouldn't really define this as a step back or a wild swing away from analytics because I think that uh, that Mitch Kupchak is is not old school in in that. And I think we'll learn more about that as as he if he is indeed the hire and he he gets in here. But he's been around the league for a long time, and I don't think that you could be that successful with the Los Angeles Lakers without embracing. Uh, some aspects of of analytics and and statistics and knowledge. I mean, I just don't I just don't see Mitch Kupchak as that person, but I think it is more towards experience, more towards relationship building and 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 a little bit a little bit of st- a step into the direction of traditional basketball um eva- talent evaluation. Uh, I really think this is more about finding someone, and you sort of hinted at this and and Rick Bennell has talked about this too. Is more about finding someone who can hit control Z. That's the undo button on your on your keyboard. Someone who can undo some of the moves made by this last administration. And and Mitch Kupchak is 63 years old. I'm not breaking any news here. He is older. So you said maybe the fans wanted someone a little younger. I don't see him necessarily serving out a seven year tenure like Cho did and still being at the helm of the Charlotte Hornets front office at 70 years old. This feels like to me a move to bring in someone experienced to set the franchise up for whatever it's going to do 2 to 3 years from now. It's it's a safe it's safe to a certain extent. It also may be what the franchise needs in order to sort of get out from under the 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 mess that they've made to unmake their bed, and and honestly, like when you look over, Kupchak's tenure with the Los Angeles Lakers, there were multiple times when he pulled off, you know, three four team deals to unmake the Lakers' bed that he helped make. So, it it, it makes sense from from that perspective in my mind. But I, but I understand. I guess the the sentiment that, oh, we want someone that's gonna that's gonna be with this franchise for for many years to come, and could see, you know, a Sam Hinky type that sort of has the long term view and and is, is is moving chess pieces from day one that will have some effect in year four or year five.
0: Right. Well, something else to remember, Doug, I mean, Cho's tenure here was pretty long uh, in terms of Almost NBA years, tenures yeah. and, and GMs. So. He was here for a long time. And I do think there are, are going to be fans that are happy about this hire. And I don't think, you know, they necessarily shouldn't be because you are bringing in someone with experience, someone with a Rolodex, as as, as Rick Bunnell pointed out today. Kids, a Rolodex is is something where you should keep your phone numbers uh, outside of your phone. I know it sounds crazy. You should sit up on your desk and you used to roll it around and look for a name and then call that number. But you know he's gonna he's not gonna be a bit afraid to pick up the phone, Doug, and he's gonna be taking a different approach than Cho did. And this is one of the areas I'm interested to see if he's a little more front facing than Cho was. You know that the, the mm-hmm. franchise not that they handled him with kid gloves as far as putting him out there, but he wasn't necessarily uh, out on front street all the time speaking for the franchise. It was usually around a trade or around the draft. And, and Kupchak certainly is not gonna be is not gonna shy away from the cameras. I don't think. So it'll be interesting to see if he's a little more out there speaking on moves, speaking on potential moves, talking to the media, things like that. Um, because I think he could probably, maybe a little more well-suited for that than was Cho. And we had Cho on the show. He was awesome. Um, but I think there is some gravitas that Mitch Kupchak does bring that fans should be excited for. Look, like you mentioned, they they have tried the up-and-coming guy. They have you know, gone from the successful GM tree with Rich Cho and, you know, the the results were what they were. Now they're going back to someone with a little more experience and what they do with that will be interesting. But I think there's certainly reason to be optimistic about it. Like, I don't think there, and there's this reaction that this is awful, that this is another swing and a miss by MJ. It may end up being that way. But given how Cho's tenure went, they went down that route. It's tough to blame him to say, look, we need somebody in here that's done this before. We've built a mess here as far as contracts go. Um, He can't give out any more bad contracts because we don't have any money. So we'll have to worry about that. But, you know, I think he's got some experience and he's been here before. And like I said, if he's hungry and he wants to prove something, (laughs) if he can turn this thing around, if he can fix this thing in short fashion, that'll say something to the rest of the league, I think.
1: Well, look, and there's something to be said uh, for the fact that you you hired someone in Rich Cho that came in and and redid your your analytics system, but had a little bit of a problem sort of initiating his his vision fully in terms of talent acquisition. Wasn't able to say no at all times when when push came to shove, and now you bring in somebody in Mitch Kupchak who is experienced, does have does have the weight uh, to to initiate his vision or stand up to ownership if he so chooses, though he did sort of develop a little bit of a reputation there at the end of his Lakers tenure as giving in to the big personality of, of Jim Um uh, But if, if it happens again, David, then I think you have to, at, at least you're saying, okay, look, they, they tried a young guy uh, that didn't work. And they, they went to sort of a, 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 a Titan of the NBA, in terms of front office uh, strength, and then that didn't work. So, you know, at least you're at least you're going in a different direction. I guess is what I'm trying to say. We've got a few more questions to answer around this news that Mitch Kupchak uh, could be the hire for the general manager position of the Charlotte Hornets. Mark Stein reporting that uh, that the offer has been made. Rick Bennell reporting that the deal is all but done. Uh, we will answer those questions, including what does this move say about the prospect of a rebuild versus making the playoffs next season? And how confident are we that uh, that Mitch Kupchak will be given the autonomy uh, that he needs to, to uh, lay out his vision for the future of the Charlotte Hornets? You're listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Think about that. If they won fifteen games, if they win fifteen and zero, they'd be a lot better.
1: <laughs> right? Wait, hold on. Breaking news. Yeah, breaking pull news. Pull that sound
0: bite. You know, I wasn't about to try to do some math. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast.
1: Back here on Locked On Hornets, and we are talking about. The news that Mark Stein dropped on Twitter yesterday, Mitch Kupchak being offered the general manager position uh, of the Charlotte Hornets. This is not a huge surprise. He seemed to be the consensus favorite for the position. And uh, we've got some questions left to answer about this, David. First, what does this move say to you about the prospects of completely rebuilding this thing starting next season, if they are able to? or trying to stay the course and continuing, uh, you know, the the goal prior to Rich Cho being let go was to get a, a four seed, maybe a five seed and just compete in the first round of the playoffs. That was step one. Do they continue to try to pursue step one or rebuild? What does this move say to you about that uh, sort of decision?
0: (sighs) Trying to read the tea leaves on this thing is tough for me, Doug, because I could see it going both ways. I mean, you know, Kupchak has relationships with Dwight Howard, uh, with Steve Clifford, uh, right? I mean, Clifford was definitely there when 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 Kupchak was still out in LA. I mean, I don't know how much he and the, you know, the GM and the assistant coach are hanging out on a daily basis, but um I mean, gut feeling, it feels like they're going to in a sense run this thing back as much as they can while making some smaller moves to free up from some things. But, like, I just don't – I mean, I don't know. That's a decision they have to make, Doug. I don't know if you have any gut feeling on that. But given the fact that it's going to be so tough to untangle this stuff in, like, four months, um, it, I, you know, could they make some huge moves? He's done that in the past, yeah. But that's a decision they're going to have to make based on a conversation probably with Kimball Walker and then decide where to go from there.
1: Yeah, I mean, a majority of Mitch Kupchak's time in Los Angeles was spent building – playoff-winning teams. Now, at the end of his tenure, of course, the Lakers went through sort of an extended rebuild, some of it with Kobe, most of it without, and you saw him make some draft decisions that are generally regarded as good draft decisions. D'Angelo Russell no longer with the team, and and that had nothing to do with Kupchak. That happened after uh, Kupchak was uh, removed, uh, but also drafted Ingram and Randall and You know, those decisions, again, generally regarded as good draft decisions. Uh, But I think, to me, just gut feeling on this is that this signals that they want to try to figure out a way to get out from under some of these contracts if they can and sort of pivot and continue to try to win and not go for a full-scale rebuild. You have to remember, too, that when they first tried to do this Bobcats rebuild— they they were shocked at how quickly and how bad things got. Like, 7-59 and 59 hit this franchise a little bit by surprise. They didn't expect to be that bad that quickly, and it was a little traumatic. It was traumatic to the fan base. It, it did – like, they wanted to be bad because they wanted a draft pick, Like right? Because you're resetting the franchise – uh, Rich Cho came in and got rid of a lot of the big contracts that they had that they had acquired, Stephen Jackson, McGetty, um, uh, and others. And uh, but but they got bad so quickly, and it, it <laughs> you don't want to become a joke, you know what I mean? And and that can become that can become traumatic. So I'm not sure just how willing they are to even risk because you w- once you start that train down the tracks, David, you don't have full control. <laughs> over where that goes and what effect that has on the players in the locker room, maybe some of the players that you want to keep around, how that how that affects the, the fans and their willingness to come back when you do field a winning team. So there are a lot of factors that they have to figure out, and I'm just not sure yet that they are sort of willing to commit to doing that again. Uh, I guess the next question would be how confident, David, are you that Mitch Kupchak would be given the autonomy that he needs to to complete a a multi year plan, whatever that plan may be, whether it's building a playoff team or or tearing things down.
0: I am pretty confident that with each step, MJ is releasing a little more of the say. I mean, I, I think he's moving in that direction, and I think both of these candidates, if that's what they were, between Rose Sauce and. Kupchak I think they were both looking for spots where they would be able to be heard have their own voice and have a majority of that voice like I don't see Cupchak coming back to the NBA to take a role where he's not going to going to be able to build something on his own or at least have the close to final say let's say so I think he and and given the Carolina ties and given his experience and and he's a basketball guy Doug right like if you're going to split this up one way or the other he played. He's in the Lakers organization for, what, like 30 years. He learned under Jerry West. So, like, he's a basketball guy. If MJ's going to lean one way, it feels like he would lean towards that guy over, you know, analytics guy if you're going to separate him in those two buckets. So I think he's going to be willing to let Mitch run with this thing more, th- more so than he might have had Rich Cho continue to stay on.
1: Does it say anything to you about the future of head coach Steve Clifford?
0: Well, again, they have a little bit of a relationship there. I don't know how much that'll play into it. I don't know, man, on Clifford. Um, you know, I think the fact that they've continued to stay hard, play, <laughs> play hard, Doug. They continue to play hard, uh, and they're setting records every night. I mean, geez, who else can point to history being made on a nightly basis with his team?
1: Yeah, I think I think that's the key. It's uh, really, I think the the whatever what anything says about Steve Clifford is going to have to do with whether this team, I think, wants to continue. To pursue winning basketball, or if it wants to go in a drastically different direction. To me, acquiring someone like Mitch Kupchak, he he's I feel like if you just look at the history of his time in, in Los Angeles, it it was about it was about unwinding as as Rick Bennell puts it in the Charlotte Observer, like unwinding some of the some of the decisions that were made over the years. But it was done in a way that it's not like it's not just fire sale. You know, I don't. I don't see many fire cells in Mitch Kupchak's history with the Los Angeles Lakers. What I see is pivoting. You know, a lot of what. What do we have, and how can we turn that into something else? It's a little bit of alchemy, taking taking sort of dirt and making it into gold, and and that's what anyone who's supportive of this deal looks at that history and goes, yes, like that. That is what we want. We want you know to to find a way to get a a Paul Gasol-like deal happening here to pair with Kimball Walker, like keeping keeping the assets that, that you know can win for you and using the other assets to acquire uh, something that suits this team a little better. Uh, so if that is indeed what Mitch Kupchak is being brought in or you know, reportedly if he does accept the deal, if that's what he's being brought in to do, then – then I think that's that that says something uh, good about the future of Steve Clifford uh, here with uh, Charlotte. And uh, finally, here from Danny on the chat on Twitter has something for us. He says, this is why I'm mad. And then uh, he has a quote from Curtis Polk in his interview with Rick Bennell. Curtis Polk, the vice chairman of Hornet Sports and Entertainment. And the quote is this. Uh, this was in regards to the general manager search in an interview that he did for The Observer. The quote is, the way basketball has evolved, we have to be careful about someone who is too set in their ways. We need to experiment in some regards, not to be saddled with how basketball was eight years ago or 10 years ago. And Danny continues, the last time Kupchak did anything seemingly worthwhile as a general manager was eight to 10 years ago. So... I see where Danny's coming from, uh, in, in the sense that this does seem to run counter to what C- Curtis Polk says there. When you bring in sort of an NBA lifer in Cupchak, but I, again, I will say if you look at that last period uh, with the Los Angeles Lakers, and they moved on for, from Cupchak for a variety of reasons, and I don't, yeah, I don't think I'll, I don't think all of them had to do with performance. I think, and if you ask people who cover the team, like I, I talked to. Uh, Anthony Irwin and Harrison Fagan of Locked On Lakers for a while about this, and you know it just it, it seemed like after again after three decades and, and a new era for for the L.A. Lakers on the horizon that they they really just wanted to go and new ownership by the way uh, the, you know Gen, Genie Bus taking over the team they needed to move in a different direction entirely yeah and, uh, exiting, Yeah. yeah you know,
0: different and, regime
1: right and so. Uh, But I think if you look over those last few years, again, I think he was making good decisions uh, for the future of the Los Angeles Lakers franchise in terms of uh, bringing in talent and developing that talent in a positive way. So I think both of those things, again, I think if you view this as a move, uh, if they they bring in Kupchak and you view that as a move for the next 10 years of this franchise— I get where where this would rub you the wrong way, where, whereas I see this move as more about figuring some things out for the next couple of years. And again, I, there are a lot of assumptions here. Don't yeah. really, you know, just trying to figure out what this move may mean. And, but, I, I, but I just really see this as a move for the next couple of years as they set themselves up for whatever the Hornets franchise is moving forward. But I think it's important that the first couple of questions that if Mitch Kupchak is the hire and, and he comes in and answers questions from the media that first day, I think some important questions to ask would be, where do you think the NBA is heading? We had a segment the other day where we heard from uh, Gerson Rosas at, at Sloan talking about where he thought the NBA was heading. Where are the trends? What, what do you look for? What, what factors do you use to evaluate talent? These are the questions that I think are important to ask Kupchak as if he is the higher and and as we learn more about him
0: and Doug I would just say this you know Mitch Kupchak hasn't just been sitting on the beach for the for, since he left the Lakers right I think he's been around the game I think he's been scouting I think he's been in NBA circles like I think he's still been keeping tabs on things and watching things he hasn't been in an official front office role of course but I don't think he's been doing the tips thing. He's
1: been doing the tips thing where tips took a couple of years off and just sort of floated around and visited teams and kept uh, kept the conversation.
0: (laughs) Totally different guy. Totally different guy. (laughs) But, but I, but I would just say that, uh, you know, I, I hear what Danny from the chat is saying and shout out to Danny. Um, but I, I just, I wouldn't be super quick to judge that. It's just going to be the same old thing from, from Mitch Kupchak. Like I, I just think, he wouldn't be coming back if he didn't want to show off a few new things. And and also I think fans have a right to feel kind of safe, you know, like a like a nice safety blanket with this pick after years of not knowing what to expect and not going knowing what's going on. You're you're I think you're in the right to feel a little more comforted that you have someone in charge there that's done it before that has some experience. I think that that can't be lost on this franchise either. I mean, they do need something in there to kind of steady things and maybe Mitch has a guy to do that.
1: All right, quick pause. And we're going to come back and answer one more Twitter question on this Twitter Tuesday, this time about MKG. What's going on with MKG? It's a question we've been asking a lot on this show all year. You're listening to locked on Hornets here on the locked on podcast network, your team every day.
0: You are listening to the locked on Hornets podcast. Don't sign him to a a $40 million contract. (laughs) Can you shoot? (laughs) Well, that is the caveat. If he can shoot, I would uh, would be good. Get more Hornets analysis on LockedOnHornets.com.
1: All right, Nick on Twitter writes, Is it just me, or why did MKG take a step back to last season in his perimeter defense? Against Cleveland, LeBron dropped 40 on him. Otto Porter got to the rim on numerous occasions, and I always considered him a top 10, maybe top 5 defender. What's going on with MKG this season? David. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Doug, let me take the lead on this one. I feel like you've got a, a better thought, a better handle on this than I do because I, I, I would say I was expecting MKG to bounce back fully and be fully healthy this year. I think some of the shakeups on the team defense have maybe affected him getting out on the perimeter. Um, but, you know, MKG, that's a guy they're going to take a hard look at. I don't know what they can do with it. The offense is what it is. I don't think it's going to get much better. But if you can't count on the defense – It just makes it extra tough to have him out there. And he's basically, you know, in games that matter towards the end of the game, he is nowhere to be found.
1: Well, a lot of that has to do with his offense more than his defense, for sure. Um, Because his offense, that's an easy question to answer. He he has developed his mid-range jump shot to become slightly more dependable, but we've learned that – you need if you, if you're just going to have a mid-range jump shot that that thing needs to be incredibly dependable. And the saving grace for MKG's offense is how effective he is in transition, and, and that has boosted uh, a lot of the other inefficiencies in his game. And we haven't seen as much cutting from MKG this year on offense, uh, and and I think that may have a lot to do with Dwight Howard and his presence in the lane sometimes that clog, clogs yeah. things up, does not open up those uh, opportunities for him to cut, which is where he made a lot of his money as well. So you do see games where he's not getting the transition opportunities because the other team isn't missing and they aren't getting out into transition, and that has to do with the defense. Uh, but uh, also those cutting opportunities aren't there, and so he will have games where he only scores four or five points and, and, and is – essentially a non-factor. Now, next question was about the defense though. Defense is odd. Like you, it's tough to really look at the numbers and, and make definitive statements about Michael Kit Gilchrist's defense and, and where he ranks among the league's best. He's never been a big numbers guy in terms of steals blocks. That's just never really been uh, a facet of his game. And, And he's been more of a contained defender than an aggressive defender and a lot of times those guys are are tougher to measure. And um, so I think that's a factor. I think another factor, too, is that I haven't, you know, just like we talked about Nick Batum and Dwight Howard not necessarily being on the same page, there have been many games where I've seen MKG and Dwight Howard not be on the same page on the defensive end of the floor, where there's been some confusion about when MKG lets one of these perimeter guys drive expecting dwight to be there with the help and that help not being there and right. the third thing that i would point to is that when you when you are guarding the best player on the floor every night which because the league has shifted so much to the wing and to the and to the guard position for where the team's best player is it's it's not normally a big that mkg couldn't guard so when you're guarding the best player on every team, you have to adjust the expectations a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like, if a guy scores, yeah. if you make a guy a little bit uncomfortable and he scores, you know, 30 instead of 40, then sometimes that's a victory for your team. And yeah. and and so you have to adjust those expectations a little bit when you're comparing his you know, defensive box plus minus or his defensive points saved from NBA math. Like when you're looking at those numbers, it doesn't necessarily look great for MKG, but it doesn't look great for Kimball Walker. It doesn't look great uh, for for Malik Monk. It doesn't look great for uh, the greatest for Nick Batum either. And so, you know, when there's a lot of release going on on the perimeter and MKG's doing a lot of recovering, I mean, I think he's been – I think he's been good defensively this year. In fact, uh, just in the last game against Philadelphia, he was one of the players that was remarked on by Steve Clifford after the game as having a really good game because defensively he made things more difficult on Ben Simmons in the half court. Now, you know, in transition, it was a completely different story, but that really had less to do with with MKG transition is a whoever's around it's a it's a, it's very much a, a team aspect of defense as opposed to individual but one on one Ben Simmons had a difficult time getting shots up against Michael Kidd-Gilchrist and and I'll say this too Nick like whatever you think about MKG he is the best defender that that the Charlotte Hornets have yeah like he is yeah. the defensive the one defensive weapon that they can employ on the perimeter. Has it been a stellar year for MKG overall? I would say no. Has the development been there for MKG overall? I would say no. Well, do they need to take a hard look, as David said, at where MKG fits within the framework of this franchise? I think absolutely. Um, but anyway, there's some thoughts on on his defense, which is always difficult. It's always difficult to talk about.
0: Yeah, one other thing that stuck out to me, especially in that Cavs game most recently, is that oftentimes if MKG is guarding like a LeBron, then that means most of the time down the court, LeBron is guarding MKG, and that means LeBron doesn't have to do anything on on defense. You know what I mean? Like that's So there's not a lot of energy expended by the guy that he's guarding, which is often the best guy. So they're saving a lot of that energy on the defensive end. Not to say they're not working hard, but, I mean, my gosh, LeBron plays defense – uh, still play some defense from time to time, but he didn't have to do much. It's a you know, great point. MKG or against the Hornets, right? So like if you shut down Kemba, the entire opposite team, that's what we see what happens in some of these games. You know, not that they're taking plays off or not playing deep, but they don't need to lock down on guys like MKG. They can let them run. They don't even need to run out on
1: them. No, it's, I mean, it's a great point. So, I mean, when you see uh, Kimba and Kyrie go one-on-one, both of those guys have to, both of those guys usually get off against one another because neither mm-hmm. guy really particularly cares to um, uh, to attempt to stop the other because they are unstoppable. But uh, in the case of MKG and LeBron, it is so lopsided because LeBron doesn't have to worry as much about the threat of MKG on offense. And and two like that that also says that LeBron may not have to work on MKG, but he can slide over a little bit more and help yep. on other people. So it, it it you know it works to the detriment of the Hornets in that respect as well. Uh, so uh, thanks for the question, Nick. You can send your questions on Twitter at LockedOnHornets. On Hornets. We answer them here every Tuesday on Twitter Tuesday. That was a great question, by the way. Um, yep. and, and I think MKG is not the only player that has to have uh, uh, his game examined after a second straight disappointing season for the Charlotte Hornets. I think uh, everyone's up for evaluation. Maybe save for the guy who just became the franchise's all-time scoring leader. Yeah, you may be pro- probably pretty good on that guy. <laughs> uh, all right, thanks for listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, make sure you're following us on Instagram as well. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Just search Locked On Hornets. We're back tomorrow with uh, Draft Wednesday. We'll do some draft analysis as we've wrapped the NCAA tournament and we look ahead to draft workouts and, and the NBA draft in June. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte.